You are listening to the official podcast of First Baptist Church of Cape Girardeau. We are a community of faith, hope, and love located in Southeast Missouri. For more information, visit our website at fbccape.com. Good morning. Our scripture this morning is from 1 Corinthians. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? What kind of body do they come? Fool, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And for we do not sow the body that is to be, but a bare seed, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. Not all flesh is alike, but there is one flesh for human beings, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are both heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is one thing, and that of the earthly is another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. Indeed, star differs from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, and what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown in a physical body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a physical body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the physical, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so are those who are of the dust. And As is the man of heaven, so are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we will also bear the image of the man of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. You may already know this about me, but I love superhero movies. And I'm not even picky. I mean, I I love them all. And this year... The mother of all superhero movies came out, The Avengers Endgame. Who has seen The Avengers Endgame? Good, good. Your name is written in the book of life. That's wonderful. Marvel has been building to this for 11 years. We've been waiting for this movie for a long time. On the night it came out, I went to go see it with another pastor friend of mine. And as the Marcus Theater logo was coming, and as we learned that our movie was about to start, I turned to my friend and I said, I am going to be so mad if Jesus comes back right now. (laughs) It's been 2,000 years. You can't wait three hours. We were all so excited to see this new Avengers movie, mostly because of how the previous Avengers movie had ended. Now, I'm going to try to keep this vague, 
But if you have not seen the Avengers Infinity War, and I spoil something, there's a statute of limitations on these things, people, and that's on you. So, the previous Avengers movie ends with a cliffhanger. It ends with half of the superheroes that we have come to know and love seeming to vanish, maybe even seeming to die. And we're left asking these questions. Wait, what happened? Where'd they go? Are they coming back in the sequel? And if they do come back, how? And what will they look like? Well, those are exactly the kinds of questions that the folks in the Corinthian church are asking of the Apostle Paul. For the past few weeks, we've been looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we've read about how Paul is trying to get this early group of Christians to have a proper understanding of the resurrection. He wants them to not only believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, but he also wants them to believe that because of Jesus' resurrection, there will be a bodily resurrection for believers when Christ returns to earth. But as we've seen over the past few weeks, the Corinthians are not really buying it. Some of them see themselves as far too sophisticated to believe in such supernatural mumbo-jumbo. So now they're peppering Paul with questions, questions like the Avengers. Well, what about those who have died? Where do they go? Are they coming back in the resurrection? And if they do come back, how? And what will they look like? And will we recognize them? Those are the questions that are at the heart of the passage that we're looking at this morning. In our passage for today, Paul is writing not just to make an argumentative point, though he does call the people a fool if they believe this, but he, what he really does is he speaks to them with the heart of a pastor. He is writing with a heart for concern for this congregation, this real congregation who has lost real love people, people they love, and are asking questions that all of us ask. Those that we love, where are they? What's happening to them? Are they going to come back one day? A few weeks ago, Gerald Collier and I were privileged uh, to play a part in the service for David Lyons. Uh, His service took place at First Baptist Church in Baldwin, Missouri. Um, Most of you knew David. He and his wife Mary have been members of our congregation for a few years now. They live right over there across the street. David's service was, was beautiful. Gerald and I did not know when we showed up that we would be asked to sit up on the dais with the other pastors in David's life, and it was quite an honor. The service was about two hours long, but it was so filled with life and energy, and at one point during the service, there was a moment that continues to stick with me. I had never seen this in a funeral before, but it was called the reading of the cards. In the middle of the service, a relative went up to the mic with a stack of greeting cards, and they read messages from groups and family members that could not be there that day. 
they were filled with words of encouragement for Mary and words of hope. And as I sat there, I thought, I wonder, I wonder if maybe that's how we got our letters in the New Testament. Because multiple times in these letters, Paul is addressing the concerns of the early church about their loved ones. Where are they? What has happened to them? And will we ever see them again? Now, as I said earlier, some of the Corinthians have rejected Paul's teaching on the resurrection, and some of them rejected it because they think it's kind of, well, to be honest, gross. When they hear Paul talk about corpses coming back to life, they imagine an episode of The Walking Dead. But Paul wants to correct their thinking here. Because in our passage that we're exploring today, Paul argues that resurrection is not the same thing as resuscitation. Resuscitation is merely the act of a body coming back to life from the dead. And we do have moments of resuscitation in the Bible. Think of the story of Lazarus in the Gospel of John in chapter 11. Jesus' friend Lazarus dies. Jesus travels to his grave. He, he weeps when he sees his grave, and he says, Lazarus, come out of there. And Lazarus wakes up and walks out of his grave. That's not resurrection. That's resuscitation. And the reason I know that is because I certainly assume that Lazarus is not still in the world today. He died years later. Paul uses the image in our passage of a seed. If you can imagine having a seed in one hand and a fully grown plant in the other, there's two aspects of this that Paul points out. First, he tells us that there is continuity between these two things. This is somehow the same organism, the seed and the plant, but yet there is also transformation that has taken place. And in our passage, Paul appears to various examples in nature. Now, I don't want to improve on the writing of St. Paul, but there is one example in nature that he doesn't use, but that I think captures this idea of resurrection and this idea of both continuity, continuity and transformation better than any other. I've mentioned this in a sermon a few years ago, uh, but it doesn't hurt us to hear it twice, maybe. One of my favorite podcasts is called Radio Lab. Does anybody else listen to Radio Lab? Peter Meese and my mom. That's great. All right, so you need to go watch The Avengers and listen to Radio Lab on the way to the theater. But Radio Lab is a wonderful podcast. It deals with science and it tells stories about science and it asks really interesting questions about what's really going on that maybe we don't often notice. And my favorite episode of Radio Lab is an episode called Goo and You. And in the episode, Radio Lab sends one of their correspondents to the National Butterfly Museum in Maryland. And what they're wanting to explore is how does a caterpillar become a butterfly? 
So we all know this. You probably remember like I do a poster in your first grade class of the stages of development for a butterfly. We know that it begins with a caterpillar. We know that eventually that caterpillar creates a cocoon. And we know that out of that cocoon comes a butterfly. Now, what I always assume happens is that if we were to, this isn't very polite, but if we were to cut open the cocoon, we would see a caterpillar kind of snug in there and at various stages of development. Maybe there's little nubs on the back where wings are going to grow or the legs are coming out or something like that. That's maybe what we assume. But in this episode of Radiolab, they cut open a cocoon. And you know what's inside? Goo. Slime. In fact, there is a process, a medical process, there's a name for what has happened to this caterpillar. Death. In that slime, there's no discernible sign of life. And yet, and yet... Somehow within this cocoon, that slime reconstitutes itself and out comes a butterfly. But here's where things get really interesting. In the episode of Radiolab, they did experiments on some caterpillars where they had them avoid a certain kind of smell. Then those caterpillars went into a cocoon and they became butterflies and those Butterflies avoided the same smell. There is transformation that has clearly taken place, and yet there is continuity at the same time. That is what Paul teaches us about resurrection. So what will resurrected bodies be like? Artists like to imagine all kinds of different scenarios. Pop culture usually imagines that we will be angels, which is basically ourselves but with white robes and wings and halos. Maybe you've watched an episode of the NBC sitcom The Good Place, where heaven is depicted as an idealized version of a hipster American suburb, and those who are resurrected look pretty much just like themselves. Well, Paul's job here is not to lay out any specifics for us of how a resurrected body forms or what a resurrected body looks like. Instead, Paul's job is to instill in the Corinthians, to plant in their hearts hope. He wants to give them hope, not the how, not the process of how this happens, But the why, the why, and the why is the hope of the gospel. He wants them to have an awareness that the resurrection is a reality and that they can hope for resurrection in the future. I've grown up in church my whole life. And I hear stuff like that all the time, that we hope in resurrection and and all of that. And that's wonderful, but... Every once in a while, there's a moment in life where the reality of those truths that we say becomes more and more real for you. 
During one of my semesters in seminary, I spent time as a hospital chaplain. Everybody was required to do an internship, and so there was a hospital near where we lived, and I chose to, to do that. And uh, it was at Liberty Hospital in Liberty, Missouri. And on my first day as a chaplain, I thought I was coming in to just get my name badge, find out where the bathrooms are, kind of get the lay of the land of the hospital. And that's what I was prepared to do. So I went to the hospital, and I sat down in the office with the director of chaplaincy, a wonderful woman named Carmen Lyle Henley. Carmen sat down with me, and we started talking about the specifics of the position that I was going to be doing for the semester, when all of a sudden her phone rang. And Carmen picked it up, and I heard her say, Okay, 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 we'll be right there. Carmen hung up the, home, the phone, and she turned to me, and she said, Come with me, Tyler. So we got up, and we began to walk to the emergency room department. And on the way, Carmen told me that a doctor had called, and that the doctor needed to inform a woman that her husband had collapsed at work and was dead. And the doctor was asking that the chaplaincy department send somebody to be there when she's informed. My eyes were as wide as saucers. I was in seminary. I read about people who did stuff like this. This was stuff that real Christians did, that real pastors did. I wasn't ready for this. We walked into the room, and the doctor joined us, and the doctor told the woman what had happened. He was a UPS driver, and in the middle of making a delivery, he just collapsed, and he died. Most likely from a massive heart attack, but it was so early that we couldn't tell her definitively what had happened. The doctor informed her and walked out, and Carmen and I stayed with this woman. And she just began to weep and sob. And as she did, I noticed that she clutched a cross necklace that was dangling from her neck. And she weeped and she weeped and she weeped. And Carmen said, can I get you some water? And the woman said, yes. And Carmen left the room. And it was just me and this woman. And I didn't know what to say. And so I just kept saying, I'm so sorry. I am so sorry. And the woman eventually looked up at me and she said, can I, can I see him? And I answered honestly. I, I said, I don't know, but I will find out. So I walked out of the room and I found a nurse and the nurse said that his body was just about done being prepared so that she could go see him. I went back to the room, and by then Carmen had joined us with the water. And the woman and Carmen and I went to the room where her husband's body had been laid out. He was still wearing the brown UPS uniform from that day. The woman went to his head, and she just began to run her fingers through his hair, and she held his hand, and Carmen and I each put a hand on her shoulder, and she just wept and wept and wept, and we just rubbed her shoulders. 
And I'll never forget, the woman eventually stooped down, and I remember the cross necklace dangling and, and touching her husband. And she just whispered to him, I will see you again. I will see you again. I will see you again. And Carmen just rubbed her shoulder and said, Yes, you will. Yes, you will. Yes, you will. And we just stayed that way for a while. Eventually, the woman calmed down a bit, and she looked at Carmen, and she asked the question, When I see him, will I know him? And I thought of this story as I was reading this passage, because Carmen talked about the very thing that Paul says here. Carmen looked at this woman and said, You know, the Apostle Paul says, that when we are resurrected, we are transformed, but we are still us. We are still us, but we are given new bodies. The woman heard that, and she cried a little bit more, and then in her first moment of brevity since getting this awful news, she looked up at Carmen. She had a sly little smile on her face, she said, well, if I get a say, I hope he's 25 again. <laughs> we stayed with that woman for about another hour, just praying with her and rubbing her shoulders until eventually she walked out and she said goodbye. I have thought about that woman many times in my life. And since that moment, I've had my own touches of grief. I've buried friends, and I've buried family. And each and every time, I think of that woman whispering, I will see you again. I will see you again. That woman taught me about resurrection. That woman taught me about hope. That woman taught me about the gospel. The gospel is about hope. It is about hope that is brought to us and made available to us in this life, and it is about the hope that God's goodness and God's grace overcomes and even defeats death itself. And I don't know what that looks like. I don't know what kind of bodies we will have. But friends, I do know that if you put your hope in Jesus Christ, that hope of the resurrection is available for you too. And that that hope of the resurrection has been at the heart of what it means to be a Christian for thousands of years. In your bulletin, you have a little brown card with a copy of something called the Apostles' Creed. If you would, take that out. We're going to read that together in a moment. Now, we Baptists are admittedly not creedal people, 
probably our creeds would involve full immersion baptism and casserole dish sizes. But the Apostles' Creed is the earliest statement of Christian belief that we have from the early church. It's probably very familiar to some of you. Maybe you were raised in a church where you said it every Sunday. And it's probably the first time you're ever seeing this for others of you. But it is a statement of belief that unites all Christians. In fact, near the end of the statement, when it says that we believe in the holy Catholic church, that's not talking about one kind of Christian. The word Catholic means universal. It's talking about all believers. This is what all of us believe. I want us to read this together. And as we do, I want you to especially notice the way that the resurrection is the backbone of this statement. Would you join me in reading the Apostles' Creed together? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven, is seated at the right hand of the Father, and will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Sisters and brothers, would you pray with me? God, we gather in this place so that we might be your resurrection people. We gather that you would fill us with the hope of the resurrection so that we can be your resurrection people in the here and the now. People who seek to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with you as we seek to live out the kingdom of God in our neighborhood. And God, we ask that we would be your resurrection people in the hope that we have for the next life. That we would put our trust and our faith in you so that we can know with a blessed assurance that your goodness and your grace and your love is victorious over all other powers, empire, sin, and death. We seek to glorify you, God. In the name of the risen Christ, we pray. Amen.